And you may be seated. If you have a notebook, if you have a piece of paper, if you have your Bible, tonight is an important night for you to take as many notes as you can. Now, I am commissioned to stay within the boundaries of the topic. Um, and so I'll do my best. I never was very good at coloring in the lines, but I think I can control myself in some manner. Tonight's lesson is called, The Lord Our God is One. The Lord Our God is One. If I could just remove all semblance of denominational uh, boundaries and lines and and concepts and just speak from the scripture then i would i would have to declare that that what we are investigating here tonight far surpasses all private interpretations and tradition just scripture and i don't want to uh speak in hyperbole i I'm, I'm, i don't want to over dramatize this moment, but it's very difficult uh, not to say that this, in fact, is the pivot point, the bedrock of all biblical understanding. Let me do that again. Jesus Christ is the chief cornerstone. The cornerstone is the strength of the entire building. Not just the strength of a building, but it also is the directing point or, or the pivot point or the place of origin. And so, if in the day you were going to build a building, the cornerstone was the foundational stone that was laid first. In fact, in the scripture, the Bible says we are built upon the foundations of the apostles and prophets... Jesus Christ himself being the chief cornerstone. Now, to understand God is the basis of belief. He that cometh to God must first believe that God is. And so, who is God? Is he Buddha? Is he, is he, um, is he a prophet? Uh, who is he? Is he someone that we can understand? Paul will address this. He goes to Athens. He's, he's in a high place where there are many statues and there are philosophers. It, it, they called it Mars Hill. And the great thinkers are there. And they have a, something erected and an inscription. Maybe there's no statue there. Maybe it's just a stone. But the inscription says... To the unknown God. And Paul, being the orator and the soul winner and the apostle that he is, that he was, takes occasion. I wish we would take more occasion. He takes occasion when he sees the inscription to the unknown God to declare who that God is. Now, I believe that those philosophers on Mars Hill were trying to cover all of their bases. 
I think they, were, they didn't want to leave anyone out. So after they named all the gods of the sun, moon, stars, weather, rain, firmament, they, they added one more to the unknown God, just in case we missed somebody. And Paul said, I'm going to declare to you who that is. So we go back to understanding God through the origin of it. And the origin was God's own declaration. God knows who he is. And he's declared himself. And he chose a people that would be called by his name. They were the Hebrew people. They were the Jews. And there was a commandment given from God to Moses to the people. That they would recite a particular line of understanding about God when they went to bed, when they woke up, when they walked by the way, uh, they would they would speak this over and over again, and it, and they they called it the Shema, and it comes from Hebrews chapter six verse number four, and it says, "Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord." Hebrews, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter six. And verse 4, Deuteronomy 6 and 4. It's the Shema. That is the building block of the Bible. It's, it's the understanding of God, of himself even. <laughs> he declares himself. And he wanted his people to declare him. Now, this is very important for us, especially in this hour. Because there are many uh, names, avenues... Uh, philosophies vying for the position of God. And we need to understand who God is. When, when, you, when you receive this, I believe you can receive it from teaching, but you can also receive it from revelation. God can reveal it to you. And so all I would like you to know is that if, if, you, if I don't describe it to you in full... Pray that the Lord will give you revelation also. And the Bible is, is very clear. Now this particular lesson will be taught in many different ways uh, throughout the year and throughout the years to come. Because if it is important that we understand God, who he is, then we must repeat it. What is not spoken is forgotten. That's true in every area. If you don't speak faith, you'll forget faith. If you don't speak, whatever you're speaking will be remembered. But whatever is unspoken or, or left out, those things are forgotten. So this is what the fathers and mothers would teach their children in the culture, the Hebrew culture. Our Lord is one Lord. There is one God. So this particular uh a scripture became the basis of living. It was, a, it was I, I would suppose it could be recital. There was a recital of it. But as you get older, there was an understanding of it. We have recitals. Uh, there's Sunday school songs. Jesus loves the little children. Uh, all the children of the world. This, these songs that our children have sung when they were very little, these are recitals. But what it did was it created the, the, the core. And in that particular song was the confidence that he loved them. 
And from that basis that he loved them as a child came the recognition that he loved them enough to die on the cross. So what looks like maybe just a recital or a repetition, even in the Jewish culture, became the understanding of who God is. This this particular scripture in Deuteronomy had credence when Jesus stood before them and said, Search the scriptures, for in them ye think ye have, have life, and they are they which testify of me. He was pointing back to all that they knew to give him the declaration that he in fact was the incarnate God. I, I, I would offer this Ephesians chapter 4, verses number 4 through 6. These are important scriptures for us to know. In fact, if you want to describe uh, what, what the Bible says about God, these scriptures that I'm, I'm referring to tonight, they, they describe who God is. Here's, here's Ephesians 4, 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit. Everyone say one spirit. This is critical that you know this. There's not two spirits or three spirits. When I say the Holy Spirit, the Lord's Spirit, God's Spirit, the Holy Ghost, the Spirit, it's only one spirit. Many different ways to describe that, but there's only one spirit. Even as you're called in one hope of your calling, here's verse 5. One Lord, everyone say there's one Lord. There's one faith, one baptism. Now this is critical for us to know. That there's one Lord, there's one faith, and there's one baptism. There are not multiple different baptisms. There's not multiple different faiths. You have one faith, there's one Lord, there's one baptism. Now, people can argue this in in their own philosophical way. That's an ideology. That's a personal ideology. But if you're going to believe the God of the Bible, you have to understand and read the Scripture. This is important for us. It's a matter of salvation. One God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in you all. So we're going to walk down through this together. And if you have a book, then I I think that I'm on your page number 14. I do want to just list a couple attributes about this God that we serve. Here are five attributes, and I don't don't think they're on your paper, but... uh, You can write them on your paper or on the back of your hand. (laughs) Just don't write them on the seat, but you can write them somewhere on your person or whatever you have. First of all, these are the attributes of the invisible God. He is a spirit. Number one, he's a spirit. Now, I'm not filling the blank yet, but I'm, but I'm, I'm, I'm giving you these attributes. Number two, he's omnipresent. That means he's everywhere at the same time. (laughs) What what did the writer say? If I make my bed in hell, if I ascend in the morning, where can I go to escape your presence? He's everywhere. Number three, he's omniscient. Omni. S-C-I-E-N-T. Omniscient. That means he knows everything. He's all-knowing. He knows you might think that he doesn't know, but he knows. He searches the heart. He has knowledge of all things. Number four, he's omnipotent. That means he has all power and he has all authority. You'll notice when Jesus says, all power is given to me in heaven and earth. He's omnipotent, all power. 
And finally, number five, he's immutable. I-M-M-U-T. Immutable. That means he doesn't change. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He doesn't change. He hasn't changed. God is as good to you today as he has been and shall ever be. He's still good. He's good when life is not good for you. He's still good. The Bible says the whole earth is filled with the goodness of the Lord. He is a good God. That's his nature. That's who he is. Cannot change that. He's just good. Even when you don't know he's being good, he's being good. (laughs) He doesn't give us everything we deserve. Because he's a good God. And he gives us things that we don't deserve because he's a good God. And he gives us things that we didn't earn because he's a good God. And you can't be good enough to get something from him. Because if you did get something from him that's good, it's just because he's good, not you. How are we doing? Just turn to your neighbor and say, you're no good. But God's good. They already knew that. God's a good God. He's a good God when you're sleeping. He's a good God when you wake up. Because he's good. He's immutable. He never changes. He's the same. He's the same when you are in trouble. And he's the same when you get out of trouble. He's a good God. He knows what's happening in your life even though you think he doesn't know. Even when you don't hear an answer from him, he knows what's happening and he knew it ahead of time because he's omniscient. And there's no problem that, that he cannot solve because he's, he's omnipotent. These are the natures. These are the aspects of this invisible God. So who is God? And on your paper, now you get to write this. God is a spirit. God is a spirit. John chapter 1 verse 18, no man has seen God at any time. John 4.12, no man has seen God. Uh, this may not be on your paper, but Jesus did say in, in John 4.24, God is a spirit. God is a spirit. Can't see a spirit. Spirit. Even Jesus at one point said, a spirit hath not flesh and bones as you see me have. Spirit. If you investigate the Old Testament, it's very clear that only one God was worshipped in the Old Testament. So all the names and titles of this deity have been listed. They are God, Jehovah, Lord, Yahweh, Father, Word, Holy Spirit. They all refer to the same being. And any, pay attention now, any plurality is the plurality of attributes or roles or titles or even manifestations or activities or relationships. But the oneness or the singularity of God is woven throughout the scripture. And this is what we're talking about. The Lord our God is one. Now this is the assumed position of every Jewish Man and woman, boy, girl, the children. This is the assumed understanding that there is but one God. So we we want to we want to establish that there's one God. We know his attributes. We need to understand his attributes. But now who is Jesus? Jesus is the only begotten Son of God. 
And we have to understand that in a, I will refer to this at various times as the dual nature of Jesus Christ. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. Now notice, in the scripture, in the Bible, both in original and many derivatives of that, you will read the, the Bible and it will say, the Son of God. But you will never read God the Son. And the reason why is because there's a deviation between that and there's a stark difference. We'll talk about it in a moment. Jesus was God in a human body. He was, he was the, the image of this invisible God. 2 Corinthians 5.19 To wit that God was in Christ. The Spirit was in the flesh. He was reconciling the world unto himself, not imputing their trespasses unto them. And hath committed unto us the word of reconciliation. First uh, John 5, uh, verses 6 through 8 says that the Father, the Word, and the Son, the, uh, the Holy Ghost are one. It doesn't say persons. So this is a, as, as I talk to you tonight, I would describe to you one person. So if we describe the Godhead, the positions of God, uh, it is it is the understanding of the scripture that there's just one person. Now this is a deviation from maybe some other teachings of, of other churches, but we believe that there's one person and there's one spirit. First John 3.16, Hereby perceive we the love of God because he laid down his life for us. The love of God, he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for our brethren. So this is a very interesting thing that God would lay down his life. How does God do that? Seeing that he's a spirit. He has to have a body. Only one God was worshipped in the New Testament. So in the Old Testament, only one God. In the New Testament. Here's Revelation chapter 1 verse 8. And I don't know if you have just black letters or red letters. But when, when, when the Bible was printed, there was red letters to indicate... Uh, that Jesus was speaking. Uh, this is a red letter. So we didn't color code it, I don't think, in red letters. Because as I've often said, it costs more money to print in red letters. But I will tell you, for all of the red letter people out there, that, that this is red letters Jesus is talking. Okay, are you ready? This is what Jesus said. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come, the Almighty. The Almighty indicates one. First John 5, 20. We know that the Son of God has come and hath given, un, un, uh, given us an understanding that we may know him that is true, and we are in him that is true, even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God in eternal life. So we're establishing here that there's just one God. Jesus walks through a wall after his resurrection, appears to his disciples. Thomas doesn't show up. He comes later. Thomas says, unless I put my hand in his holes of his, put my finger in the holes of his hands in his side, I won't believe. When he did find Jesus, he did exactly that. The Lord stretched out his hand and said, behold my hands, behold my side. And when Thomas did that, and realized that this was the same Jesus resurrected from the dead. Thomas 
cried out, here's your scripture, John chapter 20, verse 28, my Lord and my God. This was the recognition, and in particular, in the New Testament, you'll find in that capital L when it's, when it's translated that, even in all caps, it would, it would indicate that they're saying, my Yahweh. It, it's, this is exactly what, what Saul cried out when a light shined from heaven on the road to Damascus. He looked up at heaven and he said, who art thou, Lord? Capital L, Yahweh, Jehovah, who art thou? Uh, he had no indication that the voice that was speaking was Jesus until the voice said, I am Jesus whom thou persecutes. So in this particular case, Thomas is declaring this God. So the question is, is now posed in, in our presentation uh, about persons and personhood. I, I just want to emphasize that Jesus was both fully God and he was fully man. And that the word begotten means to procreate or to produce. It means to come after. It's, it's this. It's Del begat William. William begat Jeffrey. Jeffrey begat Roman, Reagan, Alexandra, and Nicholas. This is to come after, to produce. And so it, it, it's, it's, it's counterintuitive you, to say an eternally begotten. Because those two words, almost like oxymoron. It, it, it's like you would say a jumbo shrimp is an oxymoron. Or government intelligence is an oxymoron. You know, government compassion, it's an oxymoron. Um, anyway, uh, there, 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 there is no scripture that says eternally begotten. In fact, it, begotten means to come after. It has a beginning. So Dell begat William. My, my grandfather uh, uh, brought forth William. And, and my father had a beginning point. So God is a spirit. And the son had a beginning. And, and the son uh, was flesh. God became flesh. And we'll talk about it in, in John chapter 1 verse 14. So God is a spirit. And there's one God worshipped in both the Old and the New Testament. Here's number three. The question is, is the God of the Old Testament the same as the God of the New Testament? Jehovah of the Old Testament is in fact Jesus in the New Testament. And we distinguish that because in the form of the Godhead, we have the Spirit. We don't have a body. God does not have a body until the Holy Ghost overshadows Mary. Now, in the original uh, concept of, of, of Nicaea and the Nicaean Code, before it was changed, uh, there was a false uh, assumption that the Godhead was made up of three persons. God the Father, God the Son, and the Queen of Heaven. But that didn't sit, sit well with many of the Nicene fathers in the early 200s and 300s. And so they changed it from God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. If, if that was true, which I do not believe it is 
Then when the Holy Ghost overshadowed Mary and she was found with child of the Holy Ghost, then who is the father of Jesus? Because the father did not overshadow Mary. It was the Holy Ghost that overshadowed Mary. The, the simple answer is that the Holy Spirit is the active, moving Spirit of God. It is God. He is God. He is the Spirit. And it's not a separate person. Otherwise, the Father has no position. It's the fa- if the Father is a person, but the Father doesn't procreate with Mary, then the Father has no position. He's not even the Father. That means that the Holy Spirit's the Father. And it also means that I'm thoroughly confused. So I've got to bring it back to this understanding. There's one spirit. That spirit is God. He is the father. And that spirit invested himself in a virgin named Mary. And from her came a, a child, which was the incarnate God. He was the image of the invisible God. He was a man. Why would God lay, how could God lay down his life for us? I just read the scripture. How could he do that? Because God can't lay down his life. He has no blood. He has no flesh. He has no bones. He has no marrow. He, he has no sinew. He, he, how could he do that? He had to have a body. Why would he need a body? Why would he need a human person? Because the Bible says the life of the body is in the blood. And the only thing that can remove sin is blood. God needed blood. This is what Paul wrote. But you were not redeemed with silver and gold received from tradition from your fathers, but you were redeemed with the precious blood of Christ. He was a lamb without blemish and without spot. God needed to redeem you. He is our kinsman redeemer. I won't go down that road, although it's a beautiful path. He is our kinsman redeemer. How could God redeem you? He had to be our kinsman God is a spirit. The only way that he can have an understanding of us is to be a human being. So the Holy Spirit, which is God, overshadowed Mary. She procreated the Son, which we call the Son of God. Jesus is now fully God and fully man. In his humanity, on his mama's side, he is hungry, but on his daddy's side, he is the bread of life. On his mother's side, he says, I thirst. But on his father's side, he said, I'm the river of living water. Drink of me and you'll never thirst again. On his, on his mother's side, he grew weary and tired. But on his father's side, he's up all day, all night, all time. He is the alpha and omega. He's before time. On his mama's side... He grew in wisdom and stature, but on his daddy's side, he said, I know all things. All things are given to me. (laughs) He is fully man and fully God. The dual nature of Jesus Christ. I don't even know if, if I believe that there was all these persons, who do I pray to? This is also coming from an old Catholic concept when God the Father, God the Son, and the Queen of Heaven occupied those roles. And even today, people pray to Mary so she could pray to the Father. Some pray to Mary so she can pray to Jesus. Some pray to Jesus so he can pray to the Father. I can't keep track of all that. But I will tell you what I do. I just pray to the Lord. His name is Jesus. He answers my prayer. All right. We're we're, we're walking down here. Because this, this, was a, this was a form of, of anger for people. The Pharisees did not like Jesus saying all these things because they knew what he was saying. 
John, 5, John 8, 58, Jesus said to the Pharisees, Verily, verily, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. Oh, those are fighting words. We, we don't see those words, but, but if you read the context of those, those Pharisees hated that because what he was saying was, listen, I existed in another form before, before Abraham existed. And he equated himself to them as God. Here are the disciples, they're all together. They've been with Jesus for a while. Philip finally, you know, he asked the question. I'm glad he did. He said, Lord, John 14, show us the Father. We'll be satisfied. And Jesus turns to Philip and says, have I been so long time with you and yet you do not know me? Philip, look at me. He that has seen me has seen the Father. When you see me, you've seen the Father. I'm the only one you're ever going to see. The Bible says that there's one throne and one who sits on the throne. When you get to heaven, you're not going to see one, you're not going to see two, three, four, five. You're going to see one throne and you're going to see one who sits on the throne. Amen. That's the Bible. Colossians chapter 2, verse 9. For in him, him, meaning Jesus, dwelleth all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He is all of it wrapped up in one. 1 Timothy 3.16. Are you ready for this? Well, these are scriptures you should highlight in your Bible. For without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. Now that, that first line, it literally means... Uh, that there is a, that, that it is without debate, there is the mystery of the Godhead. Godliness would, would translate or be literally the, the headship of God. There is no debate or it is, it is, uh, it is without debate. And then we, Paul gives us the revelation. It's like, here's a mystery. I'm going to pull the curtain back. Here's the curtain. God was manifest in the flesh. That first line is congruent with John, with, um, with, with John chapter 1 verse 14. And it says, and the word became flesh and dwelt among us. So this is known by the Lord and it's relayed in the, in, in the scripture. God was manifest in the flesh. I just like to use it, say it like this to myself. God was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels. He was preached unto the Gentiles. He was believed on in the world. Mm. What's that last line? Received, where'd that come from? That comes from Acts chapter 1 verse 12. Ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing up into heaven? This same Jesus which is taken up from you into heaven shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. He was received up into glory. So here is the mystery revealed. God came in flesh. He was preached among the people. He was crucified. People believed him. And then he was received up into glory after the resurrection. Everybody still with me? Matthew chapter 1 verse 23. Behold, a virgin shall be with child. Thou shalt bring forth a son. They shall call his name Emmanuel, which means 
God is with us or God is one of us. That's a very interesting thought here. Because even in the Old Testament, they all wanted to know his name. What is his name? There's, there's a multiplicity of names uh, for, for him. Uh, I, I don't know if you have page 17. I just want to go over to page 17 if you have that. And let me just go through these names. These are Old Testament names that was provided. Jehovah Jireh is Genesis 22 and 14. It means the Lord will provide. Jehovah Rapha, Exodus 15, 26, the Lord that heals. Jehovah Nisi, Exodus 17, 15, the Lord is our victory. Jehovah M. Kadesh, Exodus 31, 13, the Lord that sanctifies, Jehovah. Jehovah Shalom, Judges 6, 24, the Lord is our peace. Jehovah Sabbath, the Lord of hosts, that's 1 Samuel 1, 3. Jehovah Elion, Psalm 7, 17, the Lord most high. Jehovah Raha, Psalm 23 and 1, the Lord is my shepherd. Jehovah Hassanu, Psalm 95, 6, the Lord is our maker. Jehovah Sidkenu, Jeremiah 23, 6, the Lord is our righteousness. Jehovah Shema, Ezekiel 48, 35, the Lord is present. These were the names of God, and I will even submit to you, they were the progressive names of God. Because they really weren't names, they were titles or attributes or what he meant to them at the time. If you go back to this top one, for example, in Genesis twenty two fourteen, when when Isaac looked at his father and said, I have the wood and I have the fire, we're going to Mount Moriah, but I don't have a sacrifice. This was Abraham's response. The Lord will provide. And on the, on the way down, when it was all done and they found a ram caught in the thicket, then both Abraham and his son Isaac understood Jehovah Jireh, the Lord will provide. I just want to deviate for a moment and just say, God didn't change, he's still the same. If he provided for them, he will provide for you. Why are you afraid? Why are you fearing? You go back to the cornerstone and stand on the cornerstone and say, your name shall be called Jehovah Jireh. You will provide no matter what it looks like. (laughs) I know it's a little hard to climb the mountain with fire and wood and you don't know where the answer is going to come from, but you just keep climbing and when you get there, God will provide for you. I think we need to have an understanding of who he is for ourselves. And give him a name. But that's not his name. Those are just the titles. There is a name. Because the name of Jesus literally means Jehovah has become my salvation. Jehovah has become our salvation. They wanted to know the name in the Old Testament. But the name had not been given. Because Gabriel came to give the name to Mary. You shall call his name Jesus. You'll call his name Jesus. Even in the middle of the night when Jacob was wrestling with the angel of the Lord, a theophany. And he's, and he's, and he's wrestling with this theophany. With God, this, this something there. And he wouldn't let him go. It's this incredible scene. That this and, and spiritual angelic being, whatever that was that Jacob was wrestling. That as long as Jacob held on, he couldn't get away. Oh man. Think of that. With the human hands, you can grab a hold of your God. 
He's allowed it that he won't, he can't, he can't get out of your desperate grasp. Hold on for dear life. I'm not letting you go. I need a blessing. What blessing? I don't even know. You know the blessing that I need. All I know is I'm going to hold on to you until you give me what I need. And I can't even name what I need. I can't even describe it out of my mouth. I do not know. I do know I've got a scorned brother. He's going to kill me and my family. And I've come here on purpose. This is not Bethel where Jacob goes to sleep and he sees angels ascending and descending. He gets up and walks away and says, God was in that place and I didn't even know it. No, this is not Bethel. This is Peniel where he goes there on purpose because he has to meet with God. He said, I've got to find some time with my God. And he gets a hold of him. And he won't let him go. And finally he said, the day's breaking, let me go. And he says, I need a blessing. And he, he says, what is thy name? And the theophany says, how is it that you ask after my name? There is no answer. Jacob surely would love to know the name. But the name was not given until Matthew chapter 1. There is a name. It's above every other name. And the Bible says that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. God hath given him a name which is above every name. Every tongue's going to confess that name. Everything in heaven, everything in earth, everything under the earth, they're going to bow to that name. There is only one name. Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there is no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized, calling on the name of the Lord. Colossians 3.17. And whatever you do in word or in deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus. Everything's in his name. You go back to that cornerstone. You stand in that cornerstone and say, Shema, the Lord our God is one Lord. His name is one. There is only one. His name is righteous. I will, I will praise his name. Oh, yes. <laughs> it's the book of James. James wrote this. Thou believest that there is one God? You're doing pretty good. The devils believe that and they tremble at it. We, we might think it's old news. But James said the devils believe there's one God. And it makes them shake and tremble. And they're afraid. They're afraid. <laughs> oh man. I told you I'm trying to stay in the lines. I'm, I don't know. His name means Jehovah Savior. Think of these titles. Father. That's God's role in creation. He's the father in creation. He's the father of the only begotten son. He's the father of every born again believer. Many times I'll even pray, Father, I need you. Because I understand who I'm talking to. I can call him Father because he is my father. I can call him Lord because he is my Lord. I can call on the Holy Ghost because it's one and the same. I'm just needing some power and authority. Oh, Holy Ghost, flood me. Help me. I seek you. I don't think this is on your paper, but I would like you to go to... I'd like you to go to Isaiah chapter 9 and verse number 6. Now, I know that it's May, but let's just do a little Christmas around here. I think you should start saving for Christmas. We're going to put this scripture up at Christmas time. It's a wonderful... In fact, I've received many Christmas cards with Isaiah 9 and 6 on it. This is like the... the, It's like the hallmarks 
declaration of the one God message. For unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given. We're talking about who? Jesus. And the government shall be upon his shoulder, Jesus. And his name shall be called Wonderful, Jesus. Counselor, Jesus. The Mighty God, Jesus. The Everlasting Father, Jesus. The Prince of Peace, Jesus. (laughs) That's right. The name of the Father is Jesus. The name of the Son is Jesus. And Jesus said, But the Comforter, whom the Father will send in my name, he will come to you. I will come to you. The name of the Father is Jesus. The name of the Son is Jesus. The name of the Holy Spirit is Jesus. There's only one name. All the family in heaven and earth is named after that name. There is only one God. There's only one person. There's only one Spirit. So how, finally, would God relate to man? How could he relate to man? Malachi 2.10, have we not all one father? Hath not one God created us? Why do we deal treacherously every man against his brother by profaning the covenant of our fathers? Isn't there one God that created us? Yes. The answer is yes. Luke 1.35, the angel answered and said to her, the Holy Ghost shall come upon thee and the power of the highest shall overshadow thee. Therefore also that holy thing which shall be born of thee shall be called the Son of God. This is how he relates to us. Because he understood our infirmities and our, our afflictions. And he understands, he was, the Bible says he was tempted in every measure like, like we are. He knew what it was like to be abandoned and rejected. And he knew what it was like to be alone in a big crowd. He understood what it was like to be, uh, to be hungry and thirsty and, and weak in spirit. He knew what it was like. He understood those things. And, He related to us because he came and was one of us. This was the dual nature of God. That God would come in the form of a man. And that he would die on a cross for our sin. And there are multiple different uh, concepts uh, of the Godhead But what I teach here and what our leadership teaches is that there is one God. If you look in the book of Isaiah, you'll you'll see God repeatedly saying, Is there a God beside me? I know not any. Here's another scripture in Isaiah. A just God and Savior. How does the God of the Old Testament call himself a Savior, but Jesus calls himself a Savior? The fact of the matter is, it is one and the same. The God of the Old Testament and the God of the New Testament. And the revelation is that if you, if you can grasp this concept, if you can understand this concept, that there is one God, then you build the rest of your relationship with the scripture and with God upon that knowledge. If you don't build it, you have to keep on going back to re-justify how these things exist. Or qualify, maybe, how the scripture is woven together. I would just, I would just submit to you in our lesson tonight and as we walk through 
these doctrines that the Bible has declared, I, I would just submit to you that that the Scripture declares itself. I, I don't I, I don't uh, address this from uh, any type of denominational concept. Just reading the Scripture, it becomes very very clear to me that that God has revealed Himself. To all the people of the world, he has revealed himself. And he did so in the form of Jesus Christ. And, and when Jesus died on the cross, the spirit left the body. Because the spirit could not die, but the body could die. That was the first revelation. And it was not even revealed by the attending Pharisees or the temple guards or the temple priests. In fact, that particular revelation came from the mouth of a Roman centurion who looked at this, this dead Christ and said, surely this man was the son of God. It's the revelation. Surely this was the son of God. It's incredible. And I, 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 I caution us in, in, in some small way, I suppose, that we would banish every thought of arrogancy. We're all still learning about God. Who can know all about God? But we do know that there is one God. We do know that there's one spirit. There's one hope of our calling. But it was the Roman centurion who declared him. It was the Roman centurion who said to Jesus, you don't have to come to my house. Just speak the word. I've got soldiers. I know how this works. And the Bible says that Jesus marveled and said, I've not seen this in all of Israel. So I caution us before we get too arrogant, we need to go back to, if it's been a little while, go back to the simplicity of who he is. Who you are, God. And then worship him and pray and seek him and praise him according to who he is. You are the rock. You are the high tower. You are the name. You are the father. You are the son. You are the Holy Ghost. You're the all in all. All the fullness dwells in you. And your name is Jesus. And if I cannot remember Sid Canoe, if I cannot remember Jehovah Jireh, if I cannot remember Elion, if I cannot remember Nisi, if I just speak the name of Jesus, everything that he was is wrapped up in that name. Because Jehovah has become my salvation. And when I get to the point where I don't know who to call on, I just call on Jesus and I know he can take care of all of that. Because all of that that was and is and will be, it's all wrapped up. He is the Almighty. He said it himself, he's the Almighty. That means he doesn't share his might with anybody else. That means that there's no one else like him. That he, he has all the power. In fact, he even said, all power in heaven and earth is given unto me. All of it is given unto me. When I call on the name of Jesus, I know at that, at that moment that every direction that I need, every sure word that I need, every foundation, everything I'm going to build is built upon that name of Jesus. I know from that name comes the blood and the word and the spirit. I know that. This is... This is why it's emphatic that everything you do after this point is built upon Jesus Christ, the rock. You build your house upon the rock. Who is the rock? It's Jesus. The Bible says that rock was following them in the wilderness. Who was that rock? There was a rolling stone, a rolling rock. (laughs) That's right. Oh, yeah. Who was that? In fact, when Jesus gave Peter the keys to the kingdom... Peter really didn't even know what the keys to the kingdom were. He said, I'm going to give the keys to the kingdom to you. 
And right before he did that, he said, who do men say that I am? They said, well, you're a prophet, you're a rabbi. We don't even really know. Some say you're Elijah. Who do you say? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. That's right. (laughs) And Jesus said, you're right, Peter. And upon this rock. Peter means a pebble, but he wasn't talking about Peter. I'm not building my church on you, Peter. You're a, you're a failing entity. I'll use you, but you won't always be up. But upon this rock on me, I'm building my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. The church is built upon the rock, and the rock is the revelation that God was in Christ reconciling the world. The revelation, the rock is that there is only one God. The rock is that he was in the Old Testament and the New Testament, and he's here today. Amen. Amen. So when you walk into the house of God and you begin to cry out to God, you just know he is the God of the Old Testament. He's the God of the New Testament. He's the God in your dark time. He's never going to change. He's going to be the same God yesterday, today, and forever. And you know his name. He is your kinsman redeemer. He knows everything that you're going through even before you go through it. Amen. (laughs) Yes. Yes. You should should not be uh, apprehensive. If the knowledge that there is one God makes the demons tremble. What should the knowledge of one God do to the church? Let me just give you a clue. It's not fear. It's not trembling. It's not being afraid. It should be rejoicing. It should be thankfulness. It should be the knowledge that all the gods of this world are going to crumble and fall away. But there is a God that's on your side. And he's the only God that will ever matter. He's not the unknown God. He is known to you. The revelation of who he is is known to you. Has he been so long time with you and you don't know him? When you see him, you've seen everything. When you get him, you've got everything. When you see Jesus, you've seen the Father. You've seen the Son, and you've seen the Holy Ghost. When you see him, you've seen all the power in heaven and earth. You've seen the one who started it and the one who's going to end it. Oh, yes. Amen. Amen. Stand with me right now and just lift up your hands and your voices to that Savior and call his name Jesus. And call his name Jesus. And call his name Jesus. Maybe in here you just need to say, I know that you know what I'm going through, Lord. I just, I just call on you because I need you to be my banner right now and cover me. I know what you, you know I'm going through. I just, I need you to sanctify me. Be my victory. Be Jehovah Nisi right now. Be my shepherd. Be Jehovah Raha. I need you to be the God that sees me, Lord, because sometimes I feel alone like I'm abandoned, Lord. Yes. And if you can't remember all those names, just cry out Jesus. Just cry out Jesus. Jesus, 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 Jesus.
Hallelujah! Now he wants to come to you in his spirit. Let the spirit of the Lord manifest and envelop your life right now. Let the spirit of God come inside of me, Lord Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Savior. Hallelujah, Savior. Hallelujah, Savior. When David looked at Goliath and Goliath had a weighty spear and a gallant stride and a massive frame even though David did not know the revelation of the name he still came in the name of the Lord you come to me with a sword and spear but I come to you in the name of the Lord there was there were prophetic utterances in the old testament Without knowledge of the future. It was a prophetic utterance. He did not know the name. He might have had positions and titles of God. But he did not know the name. I come to you in the name of the Lord. It's a projection for the future. It's the same thing happened when Abraham walked on top of that mountain. And Isaac said, we got the wood and the fire. What are we going to do? And Abraham said, God, here's a prophetic utterance. God will provide himself a lamb. On paper and black and white, it looks like God's going to provide something that we can use. That's not what Abraham said. Abraham said, God will provide himself a lamb. He's going to be the lamb. In the Old Testament, there's prophetic utterances. They did not know it, but they walked by faith. You now know it, and you don't even have to walk by faith. You should, but you can just say, if it happened for them, I know it can happen for me now. It's already been done. God has set the precedent for you. You've already got the manuscript. You've got the back of the book. You've got all the book. You've got the whole revelation of the mighty God in Christ. (laughs) Yes, yes. Amen. Amen. I can know him. I can know him. I want to know him. Amen. Amen. Everybody said amen. Amen. Praise God. Clap your hands one more time to the Lord before we leave this I just feel a powerful Holy Ghost in here. There is revelation in this house. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Let the Holy Ghost move in this house. The Spirit of our mighty God is here for healing and miracles. We declare that you are God. We declare that your name is Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah, Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, 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 Jesus. Blessed be the Lamb of God. He takes away the sin of the whole world. Amen. Jesus, Jesus. Mm. Amen.
just try to hold on to that for a couple of days and bring it on Saturday night. We'll pray. And then Sunday, the Lord is going to do great and mighty things. Amen. I love you. God bless you. I'm dismissing you in the fear of the Lord. Thank you for being here tonight.